Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 17, What Went Wrong? And in this episode, we will continue our look at the fall of man and investigate very specifically what Adam and Eve gave up in choosing the serpent's lie over the commands of God and how that has an effect that is still running strong today in our world very specifically and ultimately leading to shame and the ways that many people in this world attempt to deal with it. And so I'm very excited for this episode. Let's get right into it. As I shared in last week's episode, one of the main areas of temptation that the serpent tries to get Eve to buy into has to do with the idea of authority. Who really is in authority and what does it mean to have authority? And as we looked at, he questions the motives of God and questions God's authority and then has the um, presence of mind to question mankind's authority too, saying that if we were really in authority, we would have the freedom to choose from this tree. But God is telling us we can't because he is afraid And so ultimately, it is coming down to what does it mean to have authority? What does it mean to be free to rule the world well? And these are really the way that the Bible first talks about sin. And so when the first man and the first woman listened to the lies of the enemy and acted on them, believing that God could not be trusted, believing that he was not truly good, believing that he was holding out on them, and believing that for them to fully carry out their role— as image-bearing rulers of the world, they ought to be able and free to choose how they want to rule the world. When all of that happened, and the man and the woman took of the fruit and ate, we gave our authority to the serpent. We chose to believe what he was speaking about authority and what authority actually is and how authority actually works. We gave it to him to rule the world through lies, deception, and bondage. And any authority figure who rules through lies, deception, and bondage cares very little for those he leads. And you will read the Bible over and over and you will ask yourself, is that leader ruling his people or his domain well? Are those people who've been called by God and specially given the ability to love the world, are they ruling it well? Or are they tempted toward lies, deception, and bondage? The enemy promised that if Adam and Eve took his counsel, took his advice over against God's, believed his assessment of authority and freedom, they would experience true freedom. But what he gave them the moment they ate of the fruit and gave him their authority was shame. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, verse 7 says, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And this is now how the enemy rules the world. He does so through guilt, through fear, and through shame. 
Humanity, as we see in verse 7, now knows good and evil experientially. Now, we, we could have simply known, known good and evil by trusting in God's goodness. What God said was good was good. What he said was evil was evil. In fact, you could really say that Adam and Eve already knew good and evil. All that God said in Genesis 1 happened, and it was all called good. Therefore, whatever God says not to do should have been understood as the opposite of good. Therefore, evil. But Adam and Eve wanted to decide that for themselves. And I think this really gets at the heart of why the tree that was forbidden to be eaten from is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What it actually means is not simply that God says, don't eat that fruit, and then Adam and Eve eat the fruit. That is a true statement, but it is very, very simplistic. What is really going on when they look at their role as rulers, they look at their role as those in authority, they look at their role as rulers over a creation and decide that they could rule most effectively and enjoy freedom most effectively if they got to decide for themselves what was good and what was evil. And this is precisely what happens when they take of the fruit. Because for God to say you shall not eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil means that to eat from it would have been evil. But when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and a desire to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And so in that moment, man simply did not disobey God's laws. What man decided was that God's laws needed to be rewritten and they needed to be rewritten by us. And so man decides that what I call good is actually good and what I call evil is actually evil. And it is at this point that everything unravels because this is not the way things were supposed to be. It says at the end of verse 7 that they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And this is the very first time in the story that they knew that they were naked. So in verse 25 of chapter 2, it says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed because their concern was not on themselves. It was on one another, on God, and on his creation. And now everything is unraveling Mankind's first concern is for himself and what he sees. So we, we look at this term of shame, and our shame causes us to hide from God. It's no longer considered a good thing to be seen as naked. It just isn't. People are constantly sculpting their bodies at the gym to look a particular way because we want others to look at our bodies and see them as beautiful. Some of us are embarrassed by the way that our bodies look. We feel ashamed to look a particular way in the presence of other people. For the first time, Adam and Eve are aware of their true state and they do not like it. 
They're overly preoccupied. And so they cover themselves up and they hide. Another way that we deal with our shame is we blame one another for our actions. For Adam, it's no longer considered a good thing to protect his wife. And so when the Lord God comes to him, he doesn't protect her. He blames her. And because we now fear the truth about who we really are, we will continue to blame someone else for our sin forever. But we ultimately lose communion with God in all human history flows from this very point. Humans now do what is right in their own eyes. And one of the patterns that you can pick up as you read in Genesis chapter 3 is that it says in verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good, and I had pointed out last time that seven times we hear the phrase, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, And here in verse 6, we read, And when the woman saw that it was good. And so, of course, we know in chapter 1 that what God was seeing was good were things that he said to come into existence. He spoke them. They They became real things, and God labeled those things as good. Well, here... And, and from chapter 2, we know that he said it would not be good for you to eat from this one tree. And here Eve now is assessing the same tree that the Lord God told her it would not be good for her to eat from. And she is deciding, oh, yes, it would be good. And so there is this pattern of seeing something, labeling it as good or right for me participating somehow in that which you see and what you label good and then turning and hiding or trying to cover up the evidence of what you've done. That is one of the most basic and fundamental patterns of human behavior found anywhere in the world. Seeing something that you personally think you want, that you would like, that you believe you need to have, reaching out, taking that very thing, or participating in that very thing that you have chosen is a good and right thing for you, and then hiding when you realize that someone else, maybe in authority over you, maybe simply someone that you feel you might need to answer to, but you realize that your actions have caused an incredibly uncomfortable set of circumstances and so you simply hide the evidence and this pattern begins in genesis 3 but it carries right on through the old testament and let me just give you a couple of examples in genesis chapter 16 abraham and sarah have a maidservant hagar from egypt Sarah is unable to conceive and have a child that God desperately, or that Abraham desperately wants Sarah to have so that God's promise to him of being made into a great nation can actually happen. But we read in chapter 16 that Abram sees Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, and Sarah takes Hagar and she gives him to Abram, who goes into her and she conceives. And as a result, Sarah and Hagar end up getting into a scuffle and Sarah casts Hagar away from her presence. She sends her out and then Hagar is left 
just empty and barren in the wilderness. And so Hagar is this figure who is not looked upon in the right way by a person who is in authority over her. She is mistreated. She is not seen as someone who is special and valuable within herself. She is seen as a means to an end, right? Because people in the Bible, even those who follow God, are tempted to do what is right in their own eyes. Or how about Judah and Tamar from Genesis chapter 38, where Judah looks at his daughter-in-law. She covers herself up so that she will not be recognized. But after Judah's mistreatment of her by withholding his third son from being able to marry her when the first two sons who were married to her have since died, Tamar realizes that she has no hope. She has no protection. No one sees her. Everyone around her mistreats her and does not comfort her, does not care for her. So she covers herself up so as to hide from those who would otherwise know it is her. But when Judah sees this woman, whom he thinks is a prostitute, he takes her. He sees what she is and thinks that this is a good thing and goes into her, participates. And then when it becomes clear that his daughter-in-law is pregnant with a man that is not her husband, he decides, because it seems right in his own eyes, that she should be killed for this adultery until it becomes clear that he is at fault, at which point he responds that she is more righteous than he is. It's a fascinating story and one that ought to confuse you as you read if you think the Bible is a book of morals, because let me assure you it is not. What the Bible is, is one long tale of how man's desire to rule the world well now that he is turned in on himself and is doing it poorly, how God is going to come alongside the brokenness in the world at every step of the way to make sure that his good world is not left without someone who will be able to step in the gap and to save it. And a story that is probably more familiar than any would be David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. The way the story is told says that David was on his roof and he looked over and he saw a beautiful woman. And he sent one of his servants and it says, and they took her and brought her to David and he went into her, right? This was the pattern. We said, you see something, you label it as good or in this case, as beautiful. You participate in it and then you seek to hide. Well, a few months after David has this affair with Bathsheba, news comes to him that she is pregnant. Now, of course, David is in trouble because Bathsheba is a married woman. And so what does he try to do? He tries to hide the evidence. He doesn't hide the evidence by removing Bathsheba or by seeking to destroy her child. He tries to hide the evidence by having her husband murdered so that everyone will simply think this is his child, but now David will come rescuing, uh, come, you know, riding in on a white horse and rescue her and, and be able to raise this child on Uriah's behalf. Our world is broken. People see things every day that are not what they should be. They participate in them after labeling them as good and right for them, and then they have to hide. This is what shame does. 
And all along the way, men, women, boys, girls, societies, churches, families, nations spend their time preoccupied with their own view of themselves and how they need to perfect who they are and how everyone else thinks about them instead of focusing outward on how they, regardless of what they think about themselves, can be a useful instrument in causing the world to flourish. One of the most difficult things about the fact that humans do what is right in their own eyes, which is often a way that the Bible uses to describe humans making their own sometimes very foolish decisions, is that because this is the way we have decided to define authority and how to rule well, it is very natural and very easy for us to impose that back onto God to assume that that is the way he chooses to operate as well. And since we cannot separate the fact that much of what is viewed as right in our own eyes is oftentimes mixed and muddled with selfishness, it is also very easy for us to conclude then that the way God gives laws and the things that God says and the things that God does is also mixed and muddled with selfishness. And so we now define freedom as a freedom from. We look at the laws that the Lord God gives in the Bible and we see them as restrictive naturally. We see them as he doesn't really care. We see them as he does not want what is best for us. Children do this with their parents instinctively. People underneath authority figures, teachers or police officers or others do this instinctively. And, and oftentimes the, the pushback is, well, let me show you some examples of places where people have abused authority. And well, I would say, absolutely, you can. Absolutely, you can show me places where people have abused authority because it is not only those who want to be freed out from under constraint, but it is others who are also sinful who are the ones making the rules. It is a mess. But nations and kings now rule through fear or power or domination. This is all the way back to episode one of the podcast where it was very clearly believed that the Lord God himself was going to reign victorious over the nations of the world in the same kinds of ways that the nations of the world once ruled over the Israelites. But the stunning reality with the coming of Jesus is that that is not Jesus' way of ruling at all. And yet it's very, very common for you and me, not only in reading the Bible, but in looking at our own world, that fear, power, and domination is what drives most, if not every conceivable nation on our planet. Because people define authority the way the enemy convinced Adam and Eve to define it. And now God is seen as someone who cannot be trusted. His goodness is called into question time and time and time again, mostly from his own people, as the Old Testament will repeatedly bear witness to. Authority for human beings is now grasped for and used as a means of getting our own way. Well, you can't tell me what to do. I'm in charge. Hmm. Wow. Is that what authority and, and, and rulership and being made in God's image, is that what God intended in the beginning for the flourishing of his creation? 
just you and me getting our own way? Just every human being on the planet, all seven billion of us, all having each our own ideas of what is good and what is evil? Is there any wonder that the world is filled with the conflict that it is? Because if you and I disagree over the definition of good in a particular situation, we are both fully convinced that the way we are looking at it is the right way. How do you stop that? How do you correct that? Every person is convinced that life is better lived independently of God, not in dependence upon him. And humanity as a whole is afraid to face their real selves. And so we hide. We cover ourselves up. We pretend our nakedness isn't really there. And we believe that to be truly exposed is no longer a good thing. And people use all kinds of ways to cover themselves up. Some people, you may be one of them, or you may have friends who are like this. They simply pretend that they just don't care. They don't care that their lives are a wreck. They don't care that everything in their life is falling apart. They don't care about school. They don't care about their friends. They don't care that this girlfriend just broke up with them. But many of them do care. And they're in bondage. It's just that for them, it's too humiliating or too shameful to admit it because they've bought into the belief that to be a truly good human being means they ought to be able to handle all of these things on their own without any need for outside help. Other people, you may be one of them or you may know some of them, spend all of their time exposing others primarily to shift the focus away from themselves. I see this on social media more than I can oftentimes stomach People who are always finding the flaws in others and highlighting them with memes, with posts, or with articles, and it is as if their entire life is spent doing nothing but exposing the weaknesses and the wrongfulness and the sinfulness of the people with whom they disagree. All along the way, they are using that um, blasting of their opponents as a fig leaf, as a covering over themselves so that they are no longer seen as a weak or insignificant person. Rather, they are the ones with the inside knowledge that, is, that can be counted on to point out the weaknesses and failings in everyone else. Some people use anger, force, or violence to convince others not to point out their weaknesses. Yeah, that's right. These are the bullies. These are the tough guys. These are the gangs. These are all of the groups of people who have decided that they don't want anyone to know about their own brokenness or their own weakness. And so they will simply threaten violence on anyone else who dares cross their path so that no one will ever know the weakness and the fear and the shame that they personally carry. 
some people, and I see this a lot in churches, even use morality as a way to cover themselves up. Yeah, you heard me right. Morality. Morality, hands down, has been the number one way throughout human history to deal with our problem of shame and guilt without God. And this is what I mean. Moralism is any attempt to change yourself, fix yourself, or transform yourself and deal with your own guilt and shame in the power of you being good. And so you try hard to do the right thing, to pray harder, to do better. After all, God wants our obedience, right, but never independently of him. And I have watched this happen in my own life. And I have watched it happen in the lives of other people that I care about. God says that you should do this. Therefore, I'm going to try my hardest to do this. And when I find that I'm weak and stubborn and self-centered while trying to love my neighbor, I don't want anybody to know that that's the case if God saw that I was really incapable of really loving my neighbor, what would he think of me? Well, I better try harder at loving my neighbor. I better start praying more. I better read my Bible more. I better memorize more scripture. I better go to church more. I better clean up my life. All of these things can be used for good. But as we see in the parable of the two lost sons in Luke 15, modeled most clearly in the older brother, morality and always doing the right thing can become a very clever way of hiding from God. Because when the truth comes out about how much God loves those who don't deserve his love, who have not tried their hardest to do the right thing, how do we respond the older brother responded in anger because he believed that what he had done in doing the right thing all the time made it such that he should be able to be accepted by God based on that and not have to need God's mercy. Other people, no matter what you say to them or when, simply defend themselves all the time. Defense. Anything you do to avoid painful self-awareness. People don't want to become self-aware that they might be self-absorbed or that they might have a lust problem or that they might have a greed problem or that they might have a short fuse or that the fruit of the Spirit are not as readily present within their hearts as they would like to think they are. And so when a friend or a spouse points these things out, we feel exposed. And the quickest way to stop feeling exposed is to blow off what they're saying and make an excuse as to why what they are saying about you right then is not true. And then there are others who simply give up. <laughs> They've tried for their whole lives to cover themselves up and they can't do it. And they end up just living with the belief that no one could love them with the, the badness and the sin that's in present 
in their own hearts. And they believe that if anyone knew the real them, they would reject them entirely. This is the world in which we live. This is the self-protective world in which we live where people are primarily focused on looking good in the eyes of others, looking good in their own eyes, and do not have the time or the patience or the wherewithal or the love to properly work the ground and keep it, to properly care for and nourish the creation and the people in the creation for their betterment and for their advancement. So what do we do about all of that? That's why Jesus has come. This is one of the most exciting things about Jesus' coming, and that is that in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God disregarding the shame. There is, there is shame inherent in a Roman cross. The Romans themselves chose the most humiliating form of punishment for its criminals to send a loud and clear message to the world. Do not cross us or we will shame you to death. When Jesus endured the cross, this humiliating death on behalf of sinners trapped in the bondage of their own shame, Jesus disregarded the shame. He took no notice of it. He paid no attention to it. He didn't listen to its lies that said he was worthless, that said he didn't amount to anything. Jesus instead embraced the love of his father who made him in his perfect image, just like he made you and me. And he took that shame that has been running free and rampant in this world that still is alive and well in the hearts of so many people. He took it to the cross and destroyed it there so that no one has to fear. If I come clean with the darkness that I'm aware of inside my own heart, but nobody else knows, then I will be cast off forever. Jesus says, absolutely not. Those who willingly step out of the darkness into the light with me will find forgiveness, will find healing, will find redemption, will find restoration. We need one another. We need Jesus. Because as one of my favorite authors, Rob Reamer, says in the book Soul Care, we cannot heal that which we will not admit. God cannot cleanse that which we will not confess. But we often are reluctant to admit the ugly, broken, and sinful parts of ourself. But to the degree that we deny these realities, we live in bondage to them. And he's exactly right. What Genesis 3 shows us and teaches us is the rationale behind what drives us to be tempted, what drives us to commit sin, what drives us to question the goodness and the character of God. And people have been questioning him since the beginning. But what the biblical story also opens up for us is it shows us the very traps that our decision-making leads us in. It shows us what happens when we define freedom as throwing off of all constraint, as if we really had insight to determine 
what every single command of God was meant to imply for our lives. There's a very, very close relationship between ruling the world well as someone in authority and yet remaining under God's authority while we do. That is the task of a human being. It's a task that when we throw off dependence upon God, it leads to all sorts of hell on earth. And I've described just a few of those things for you in attempting to walk through how shame manifests itself in the lives of regular people every single day. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so the Bible is going to pick up steam now as we begin to address what is God going to do? How's he going to address this? Is he just going to turn a blind eye? How does he come to Adam and Eve to deal with this issue? I know you know the story, but I hope it surprises you all the same when you see his tenderness, his love and his grace, because he is the one in authority over all things. And even though man has decided to rewrite the way authority works, God hasn't. He still rules with love and with compassion. And we will see him time and time and time again do just that and yet not turn a blind eye to sin. So we'll have a chance to look at that in future episodes. For those of you that are supporting this podcast, Unbinding the Bible, I'm so thankful for you. Um, It's just been a huge encouragement to talk with some of you about that. If you would like to support the Unbinding the Bible podcast, I would love for you to. There will be some, there's a link in the show notes that you can click if you would like to go there and they'll walk you through instructions on just how to do that. And also, if you would like to email me any questions you have, any thoughts or comments, ways that I can pray for you. Please do not hear this as an academic podcast only. I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear how you are wrestling with shame so that together Jesus can set you free. If you've got something like that you would like to share with me, please email me at unbindingthebible at gmail.com because I would love to talk with, pray with, and pray for you. Until next time, have a great week.